Fifteen years ago this month, the Cato Institute launched the Cato Daily Podcast, and to mark the occasion, we're hoping to give you a token of our appreciation and ask a small favor. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to get a pair of vinyl Cato Daily Podcast stickers in the mail and give one of them to a friend who might enjoy timely libertarian perspectives on issues of the day. That website, again, is cato.org slash cdp15. And now more than ever, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Last week's shock to oil markets driven by a pipeline ransomware attack highlights the freedom people and businesses need to nimbly respond to economic disruption. For millions of Americans, however, the Jones Act stands in the way of dealing with sudden shocks to our ability to transport goods, especially oil. Cato's Colin Graybow explains. Colin, the Jones Act strictly regulates the ability of Puerto Ricans uh, and others to engage in commerce with uh, the mainland United States. So when have we seen any kind of temporary waiver for the Jones Act? Over, I'd say, the last 20 years, we've seen a number of uh, temporary waivers issued for the Jones Act. These have typically been in response to natural disasters, uh, such as hurricanes, uh, Hurricane Katrina, for example, in 2005, and then also Hurricane Sandy, I believe in 2012. Uh, and then five years later, we saw some after hurricanes uh, Harvey, Irma, and Maria in 2017. Uh, in addition to those waivers, we've seen a few uh, given for uh, more strict national security reasons. I'm thinking particularly of uh, there was a drawdown of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, after the military action that took place in Libya uh, related to that. So we've seen... Um, Waivers of the Jones Act issued about every, say, two years over the past uh, 15, 20 years or so. What would a Jones Act waiver accomplish in the wake of this uh, colonial pipeline outage that produced uh, so many fuel shortages in the United States? Well, the Colonial Pipeline supplies, I believe, something like 45% of all of the fuel uh, consumed along the East Coast. So in the absence of that pipeline functioning, an alternative way of moving uh, refined fuels uh, to where they're needed is to place them on ships or other vessels and move them along the coast. Unfortunately, because of the Jones Act, we have a very limited supply of ships that are capable of doing this. Um, there are only 57 tankers in the Jones Act fleet, of which 44 are of the type that are capable of moving refined fuels. And then some subset of those are available because most of them are already engaged in other business. So by waiving the Jones Act, this allows a, a far greater universe of ships to be available to transport uh, those that, that fuel to where it's needed in, in the United States. What is the deeper reform here? Obviously, you want to, you want to get rid of it. Uh, you want to see um, the Jones Act done away with entirely and allow states and localities to engage in trade in a, in a much more uh, broad fashion, allow shippers that, that kind of flexibility. Uh, but in this moment in time, how do we get a waiver? So right now, the Jones Act is front and center because, of course, we have this, this fuel crisis. Um, but you know, make no mistake, the Jones Act has been interfering in U.S. commerce and particularly the energy sector for a long time. Uh, we see distortions all over the energy landscape because of the Jones Act. For example, you mentioned Puerto Rico earlier. 
Puerto Rico imports 100% of its liquefied natural gas that it uses to power uh, to generate electricity from foreign sources. The reason why? It's impossible to ship LNG to Puerto Rico from the U.S. mainland because there are zero uh, qualified Jones Act ships to transport it. We see a similar thing in Hawaii. Hawaii uses a fair amount of propane, uh, what's called liquefied petroleum gas. And again, they have to buy it from as far away as West Africa because of a complete lack of appropriate ships. But even when we do have the, the correct ships in the fleet, owing to the expense of using Jones Act uh, ships, it often makes no sense to use them. Uh, we've seen examples of California import crude oil from as far away as Nigeria instead of the Gulf Coast, despite the greater uh, geographical distance. Because again, once you factor in the cost, it doesn't make sense. Same thing with uh, refineries in the Mid-Atlantic that will use oil from Africa or Europe instead of uh, U.S. domestic oil. Because once you factor in the cost of transportation, the numbers just don't add up. In fact, when you look at the Jones Act tanker fleet and where it operates, it typically operates in places where there are no pipelines, where there's no alternative but to use a Jones Act ship. So uh, leading example, Alaska, shipping crude oil from Alaska down to, to the West Coast, no pipeline, use Jones Act uh, tankers. And also Florida. Florida does not have access to the Colonial Pipeline, for example. There is no pipeline that serves Florida. So you do see a fair amount of Jones Act tankers used in that market. So we, do, we see distortions all over uh, the energy landscape from this law. And I think just right now it's being brought in sharp relief. But Let's, let's keep in mind that once this uh, crisis passes, as it inevitably will, the Jones Act will still be in place and still interfering uh, with this market. Beyond repeal of the Jones Act, what would allow Americans to have uh, access to more of the world's goods at better prices more quickly? So the Jones Act debate is often uh, framed in binary fashion, where it's uh, you know, either favor the status quo, you keep it or you get rid of it. But, you know, fortunately, you know, we should also keep in mind that there's a whole spectrum of options between just repealing the law and keeping the status quo. Uh, one thing we could do, for example, is perhaps the Jones Act's most notorious uh, requirement is that unlike any other form of transportation, uh, the Jones Act requires that the vessel be built here in the United States. Uh, that's extremely costly because Americans are relatively uh, very inefficient at producing these, these uh, ships. For example, tanker ships are typically about quadruple the price of one bought on the international market. So instead of paying around you know, $30, $35 million for a tanker, Americans are forced to pay $140 to $150 million. All that gets passed along to consumers and makes domestic transportation a lot less attractive. So one thing we should do is get rid of that. It's not even doing a whole lot for U.S. shipbuilding. No tanker has been built in a U.S. shipyard since 2017. Uh, there wouldn't be a lot of lost business there and be a tremendous amount of upside. Other things that should be considered are, for example, in those instances where there's no American ship available, like, for example, with Puerto Rico and LNG or Hawaii and propane, you should be able to use a foreign ship. Uh, if there's no American ship available, Americans should have the ability to still buy American goods. And this and the Jones Act gets in the way. Uh, and lastly, I think another uh, item that should be under consideration is exempting the non-contiguous states and territories such as Guam, Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, which have no alternative but to use maritime transportation from the Jones Act. Uh, this is a gross unfair tax that is placed upon these parts of the United States. And I just point out that um, there's a lot of talk about Puerto Rico possibly joining, uh, becoming the 51st state. Puerto Rico has a 43% poverty rate, and it's grossly unfair that we subject them to some of the world's highest 
uh, uh, see transportation costs. So I think those are all options that should be firmly on the table uh, for examination by Congress. Colin Graybaugh is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. It's our 15th anniversary at the Cato Daily Podcast. In appreciation to listeners, we have a small gift for you. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to learn more.